Amen. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, so excited for this coming week. And uh, thanks for showing up maybe a little early to grab root beer floats together as a broader church family to see those things. Had a team of people here, uh, I think, making a bunch of floats earlier. And then in addition, we're uh, pushing out a bunch of floats in the moment. So thanks for being present to celebrate this day. And whatever you have for the afternoon, hope it goes well on this beautiful day. Uh, Yeah, kingdom of God. So we've been working through this summer, we started last week, about this thing called the kingdom of God. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What what was he ushering in? And so uh, we look around and and we understand that, that the kingdom isn't fully here yet, that there's still pain and hurt all around us. And yet we're also hopeful that we are not so naive as to think the kingdom is fully here and yet not hopeless as if the kingdom has not already begun at the cross, at the resurrection of Jesus. And so there's this idea of already not yet, that the kingdom is here and yet we understand it's not fully here with King Jesus fully reigning in this space. And so we talked about last week, we're, we're caught as exiles This world is not our home. Instead, we have one foot in this world and yet simultaneously long for the kingdom to be fully present. To to picture it a different way, Jewish eschatology saw it this way. And eschatology, just like biology, add ology on just the study of, it's a study of end times. The Jewish community saw it as experiencing the old age And they anticipated the Messiah coming that would usher in a new age. And you can understand some of their frustration, misunderstanding when Jesus ended up going to the cross because they understood this is a political revolution. Jesus Messiah was going to usher in this new age. And so we instead see it more like this, where we understand we can look back and see the Messiah was crucified And yet something did change. He rose again. We gather on Sundays to celebrate that reality and ushered in a new age simultaneously with this old age. So we're in this period where the new age has started and yet hasn't fully arrived. And we still live in this old age until the Messiah returns, the already not yet. And so we've been looking through this this kingdom of God. And here's another quote. Casey said, David, you give way too many quotes. I'm like, but they say it so succinctly. So here's another quote from a guy named George Ladd. Same guy last week, just a a different part of his book. The mission of Jesus brought not a new teaching, but a new event, the the resurrection, the cross. It's a cross-centered kingdom. It brought to people an actual foretaste of the eschatological salvation, this future salvation. Jesus did not promise the forgiveness of sins. He actually bestowed it. He actually gave it. He said, your sins are forgiven. He did not simply assure people of a future fellowship of the kingdom. He actually, in his person, invited them into fellowship with himself as the bearer of the kingdom. He actually said, there is life in my name. There is the kingdom present because I'm present, he said. He not merely promised them vindication in the day of judgment at some far-off day. He actually bestowed upon them the status of a present righteousness. We believe through faith Christ's righteousness now covers our broken imperfection 
imputed righteousness, not infused and somehow we're waiting to be vindicated someday. We actually can be, uh, we stand righteous because of faith in Christ. He not only taught them eschatological deliverance from physical evil, he went about demonstrating the redeeming power of the kingdom, delivering people from sickness and even death as a way of directing people to a spiritual reality. He actually did those miracles in anticipation of that ultimate deliverance. And so, kingdom of God, we've been looking at parables to tell us about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about a king, King Jesus, forming a people, calling people out of darkness into his marvelous light under his reign, to live under his reign. And so we've been looking at parables to try and understand this kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. And parables have one meaning. An allegory has multiple. When you read an allegory, everything has meaning. In a parable, there's one. There's one meaning. And so last week, we looked at the mystery of the kingdom. This week, we're going to look at another element through one of Jesus' parables. Parables are intended to address and capture the hearers, to bring them up short about their own actions, or to cause them to respond in some way to Jesus and his ministry. And so I love last week, while we're up here, the kids are taking part of their time uh, to talk about what the kingdom of God is based upon the parable we're discussing. And so last week, Isabel drew this picture, and I loved it because she drew the roots as gold. And if you remember last week, the mystery of the kingdom is in the seed that the farmer sleeps, and yet the kingdom goes forward. The gospel goes forward. And I love this picture. The kingdom of heaven is like a man scattering seed on the ground and he knows not how it grows. There's a mysterious component and yet God is producing the growth. This morning, we're going to take a look at one more. And I, I just need someone's help real quick. Can I get a volunteer to come up and join me real quick? Hey, thank you. Otherwise, some of you, one of you is going to get voluntold to come up here. So thank you for saving everybody from that, Maria. You guys know Maria? This is Maria. Hey, so Maria, can you help me? Can you take those chairs and then line them up? So just unstack them and then line them up right here. If you could do that for me, that'd be wonderful. And yeah, no, yes. Yeah, you don't need to be, it doesn't need to be like super meticulous. Just, yes, it's perfect. Yeah, just line them up. And, and so what we're planning on doing this morning is, just like I said, parables have one meaning. And so we're going to look at one of Jesus' parables to arrive at one of these meanings about the kingdom. Fantastic, Maria. Now, could you actually move them over to that side of the room, just one by one, just take this and just walk it over to this side of the room and just do that exact line right there, just like that. That'd be fantastic. Really appreciate it. Because hey, I was thinking maybe I should sit down this time. Were you guys here last time where I attempted to sit down and that lasted all of about five minutes? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, what a ride. So we're looking at a parable and there's one intended meaning that we're going to try to arrive at. Can I actually get one more volunteer? Is that possible? Can we get one more? Samuel, come on up, Samuel. That's fantastic, Samuel. Thank you. Again, you guys are much better than first service. A bunch of, it was like pulling teeth to get first service. All right, so Maria, here's what I need. Can you actually start stacking the chairs? Can you start stacking them right over here? So if you put that one over here in this corner and just stack them, that would be wonderful. Just if you start stacking them. Samuel, can I get you over here, please, for a second? So if you just stack them. You guys know, how tall are you? 6'3". So who's taller? Is it me or is it Samuel? Oh. Sa 
Oh, come on. Not even wearing my boots today. All right, Samuel, what I need, can you get this last chair for me and then just put it right on top of that stack? You're a gentleman and a scholar. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Well done. Well done, Samuel. Give, oh, give him a hand. That was very well done. Can you guys come over here for a second? So I have, I have in my pocket, well done, Samuel. So I have in my pocket, I have two Firefly gift cards. So, so if I was, if, if was going to give more to someone, who should I give more to in your estimation? I mean, to Maria. What, and why? Why would I do that? She just worked harder. I mean, it was clearly evident, despite your best efforts. I mean, you did that one chair very nicely, by the way. It was very well done. It, it, it would be clear. We go, well, it's Maria just worked a little bit harder. And Samuel came in at the very last hour and did very little work in our heads. What, why should they get the same amount? It's clearly evident Maria did more. And yet here, so here's your Firefly card. There you go. Well done. And they're the same amount, just in case you're wondering. I wasn't clear. Give them a hand. And before you go, hey, before you go, before you go, here's the parable for the morning. And we're going to read this together. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw they're standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right for you, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came and each of them received the denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius, a fair day's wage. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour, like Samuel showing up at the very last second and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. Here's the response of the master of the farm. He says, but he replied to one of them, friend, am I doing, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. As we jump in and, and you could say no, would you be willing to pray for us as we, as we begin our, uh, our time in the text together, Maria? Thank you. Lord, thank you so much for us being here today. Um, will you open up our hearts to receive this word and that uh, it stirs together up um, just clarity of what you have for us, Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, plant that seed into us who have not been planted. And if there is a seed, let it grow. Mm-hmm. Let it grow for you and your kingdom mm-hmm. alone, Lord. Um, let this message be so clear for all of our problems that we've been having today, Lord, and that you bless all the fathers that have been here. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ray. Nice job. Give him a hand, guys. So one idea, that's where we're headed this morning. Jesus addresses the misconception in our hearts that the entrance into the kingdom is a gift, not a reward to be earned. The generosity of the master. And he addresses the misconception. So stated a little more softly there than than maybe even what Jesus intends, I think there's a warning in here 
that if, if we belong to the kingdom, there is a way in which we act that reflects the same heart as the master of the vineyard. So we're, we're going to start here. We're just going to quickly walk through the parable, and then we'll walk through those four ideas that are connected to that one big idea. So we're just going to run through the parable, and then we will walk through those four ideas, all reflecting this big idea about the entrance into the kingdom being a gift and the generosity. So here's the parable. You guys heard it, right? The master hires workers for his vineyard at the beginning of the day. And then as the day goes on, he hires more workers throughout the day. So, and depending on your picture, I don't know what your mind conjures up when you think vineyard. It's not the Oregon wine reserve where you sit and drink what happens from the grapes. It's hard work, right? And and you're not working in an air-conditioned office, right? You're not sitting there up and down, bending, grabbing, right? It's, 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 It's work. And so these people have worked a full day. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Uh, I I remember just day laborers. I remember being outside of Home Depot and seeing people pick up people for their day of work. 6 a.m., the day starts, and after agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. So imagine starting your day at 6 a.m. to work a long day for a fair day's wage, and then the master goes out and begins gathering more people. The third hour, about 9 a.m., And then you go into the vineyard too, and I I will give you whatever is right to you. Not an expectation that it's going to be a a full denarius. Sixth hour, ninth hour, we're talking noon, 3 p.m. Now the 11th hour. I mean, it's it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon at this point, right? The day is pretty much done. And then what happens? He pays all his workers the same amount at the end of the day. What is Jesus trying to stir up in this parable? That we might have misconceptions in our heart. That the entrance into the kingdom is a gift, not something to be earned. And so we're going to walk through these four ideas that God invites all into his kingdom. And God continues to call workers into his kingdom throughout this journey of life. And God gives the same abundant grace. And so we ought to always celebrate his grace and again, the, 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 that's stated positively. The text states it negatively as a warning, not begrudge his generosity. So let's walk through it. God invites all into his kingdom. And we're going to walk through those four ideas with three questions that are at the end of the parable. Did you see the three questions? Three questions at the end of the parable. And here's the first question. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong did you not agree with me for denarius? Wasn't that the agreement that we agreed upon? So what, what is that God's invitation to all in the kingdom? It, wasn't this fair? But many of you, first or last, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master in the house who went out early, and after agreeing with laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So, so I picture my kids. So Casey is so good at this. She's got this prize box at home, and, and it's got a bunch of trinkets from the dollar store, but my kids absolutely love it. And so imagine I turn to Hudson, and, and just not for anything he earned, I, I just go, man, I, I, I'm just loving you, buddy. You, you're doing such a good job right now. Just, just why don't you go in the prize box and pick out anything you want? How's Hudson feeling in that moment? 
Man, he, he's elated, right? He's happy. But he, you know, just go do it, man. You're doing a great job. Go, go pick a prize from the prize box. And so he goes and he's looking through all the other trinkets in there and he finds one that he is elated about. Now imagine as he's standing there with that prize in his hand feeling euphoric about these little trinkets that we get from the dollar store. Now, as he's standing there, what if I turn to his sisters and I walk them over and I said, girls, you know, I love you. Why don't you get two prizes from the prize box? How's Hudson feeling in this moment? He's feeling cheated now. He's like, what? Why didn't, why didn't I get two prizes? Like, what, what's the deal? What, what happened? What, why, why are they getting two? And now suddenly he's not feeling so good about the one prize he got. I think sometimes we do this with God because here's the fundamental question we ought to be asking. What do you deserve from God? Uh, so our often response, because we understand the weight of it, we don't deserve anything from this infinitely good God. And, and yet there's one thing we do deserve. Ah, damnation. Do you actually, in your daily life, see it through this grid? There is one thing that you actually deserve from God. Hell. An eternity apart from him in hell. What do you deserve? And yet God invites all, and he's just to give. And he invites all into his kingdom. God invites all, not the self-sufficient, but because of his gracious invitation. And he continues to call more into his kingdom. Here's what the parable shows us. Second question. But he replied to one of them, friend, am I doing, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? God is just and he's gracious. Take what belongs to you and go, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And so you see, as the day goes on, the third hour, the sixth hour, he saw people sitting idle and he goes back out to the market to the ninth hour and then all the way to the 11th hour, he went out and found others still standing, like Samuel, who comes in at the very last second and moves one chair and yet still receives the same gift card. That God continues to call more workers. That God saves people at different stages of their life. That there are people in different points in their life where they actually recognize who this God is and they put their faith in him. And God is patient with us and he allows those things to happen. Now, here would be a misapplication. I was talking to a friend recently. You guys have heard of the principle of the early bird gets the worm, right? It's, it's, a, it's a principle. We're seeing it through the eyes of the bird and, and, and a desire to, to work hard and be present. Have you ever thought of it from the vantage point of the worm? Has that ever crossed your mind? Never, right? What, what if we applied the principle of the worm? The last possible worm to go out is actually the most fortunate, thoughtful worm, right? He is avoiding the treachery of all the birds. So we could say, man, I just want to live however I want. God's going to save me in the end. I can take as long as I want, take whatever time I want, because I'll be good. God saves at different stages. 
That would be a misapplication of this parable. That's not what he's trying to tell us. Instead, it's demonstrating God's generosity at different points in people's lives. God saves at different stages in life. He invites all, not the self-sufficient, but those depending on his gracious uh, kindness. God continues to call workers, and God gives the same abundant grace across the board. Second question, still in the second question. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And so we see it. We see him giving the same graciousness regardless of when those workers showed up. And when they're called to get paid, call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So what do you think those that showed up at 6 a.m. to work are thinking? We're going to get more. I mean, this is going to be a great payday. I mean, if the guy, if Samuel, if Samuel shows up to move one stinking chair, I mean, just imagine what I'm going to get. I mean, how, how gracious and generous is this guy? He's giving a full day's wage to the guy that came for an hour. I mean, what a wonderful thing. They're thinking, huh, this is going to be a great payday. Look, I could take my kids to a luxurious meal at Red Robin this afternoon. It'd be a wonderful thing. Maybe take them on a trip to Disney World. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And then what happens? Now, when those who hired, that's a great place if you've never been there. Did I tell you guys what happened recently at Red Robin? This is probably a few months ago now. We were at Red Robin. It was a long line. It was probably a 45-minute wait. Oh, man, we said, forget that. We're going to go to somewhere else. We drove around for 15 minutes. Couldn't find any other place to go. Where did we end up back? Red Robin. And we walk in kind of like, uh, you know, it's just you know, a little dejected. We walk in. The hostess sees us. And we go, hey, we, we'd like to put our name back in at Red Robin. Yes. She goes, oh, yeah, you've, we've seen you here before. Uh, why, why don't you come on back with us? we got a table for you. And we're like, I don't know if we should think of that as a good thing that she recognizes us that we're there way too often. But it was a nice opportunity to skip the line. Uh, that's, there it was, yeah. Call the laborers, pay them their wage, beginning with the last. And when those hired about the 11th hour, each of them received an denarius. What, what, what are the other guys feeling? This is going to be a great payday. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And so that, that desire of expectation started welling up in them, and it was unmet. What then changes, just like in Hudson, what starts to change in our heart when we see God's generosity outpoured to someone else? We can't judge God's generosity based upon our circumstances. When we look around and we see what appears to be God's grace to others, we could start to go, well, what about me? God, why have you not been good to me? Because look at that promotion that person received. That was supposed to be my promotion. Look, look at their relationship or their kids. Why aren't mine like that? What, what, what is the deal, God? Why, why aren't you demonstrating your generosity in the way I would expect. And yet, the master of the vineyard says, well, it's, it's my generosity. It's my money to do with, right? We can't judge God's generosity based upon our circumstances. 
He invites all into his kingdom. And he continues to call workers into his kingdom at different stages in their life. Doesn't mean we just wait till the last hour. God was gracious to where we find ourselves in the journey and God demonstrates the same abundant grace wherever we find ourselves. And we should always celebrate his grace, not begrudge his generosity. Third question in the parable. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? What, what is stirring up in you as you see generosity being poured out differently? Knowing that we all deserve one thing from God, or do you begrudge my generosity? We're getting exactly, we're getting abundantly more, we're getting His grace. Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, why are they grumbling? We already pulled it apart a little bit. Why are they grumbling? You heard Larry say it. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. What were they saying? If those who barely worked one hour got paid for a full day, I can't wait to see what I'm going to get. And when his generosity was poured out equally... The last worker is only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. I thought this quote from one of the commentaries was fascinating, just the way they framed it. It seems unequal to experience equal treatment with those that are unequal. There's something in us that starts to, to stir up and say, that's not fair. And, and don't hear me say, don't hear me diminish some of the, the real injustices that take place. We're talking broad level about the way we see the world. We look around and we say, that's not fair. Well, what is welling up inside of us? Why are they grumbling? You guys remember the story of, uh, of the Jewish nation? Do you remember any situations where they were grumbling? <laughs> there was one in the fleeing from Egypt. The Jews were tempted to grumble against God's generosity talking about fleeing Egypt, and they murmured in your tents, and you said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. There is this grumbling that starts to permeate our life when we look around and see unequal treatment through our lens. And Jesus is now telling a parable, I think, for these Jews, because they look and they see sinners and tax collectors being invited into the kingdom. That's not fair. Don't you understand? We've been following the Mosaic law. We've been doing the right thing. How do sinners and tax collectors get in? And there's going to be a whole nother layer. You mean Gentiles are going to be included in this kingdom too? They're not God's people. And yet it gets magnified to include even Gentiles. God's generosity extended. So then the question for us becomes, well, well why do we grumble? If we understand in this generous king, this generous God who's extending hope to all, why do we grumble? And I think it's because we have a higher view of what we think we deserve. Well, I worked for that. I deserve that. That promotion, that was mine. That, that particular relationship, I should have been the one experiencing that. Don't you understand all the seeds I've been planting, how hard I've been working? 
a higher view of what we think we deserve. I show up, I can't believe my steak is medium well. I asked for medium. A general view on how you see the world and a lower view of what we think, quote unquote, they deserve. I was at a, 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 just a connection yesterday and was talking to a former parole officer or sheriff in the prisons and he just described the general vantage point people see of inmates juxtaposed against how he would view the, the population he works with. Do we have a lower view of what we think, quote unquote, they deserve? Don't you know? Don't you know what they've done, David? <laughs> Don't you understand? I mean, do they, do they really deserve? And God is shattering through this parable, this view of his, uh, our view of generosity. So what we miss, we miss a more accurate picture of ourselves. Do we have a clarity of God's generosity that's been manifest in our life? Do we experience that? Do we see the generosity we've experienced and then a more accurate picture of God's grace that he's extending to people, drawing them into his kingdom, believing that's the biggest thing that matters in this life? As we live in this empire kingdom, do we believe that is the biggest thing that matters? And so, are we people who see and experience God in his kingdom and celebrate his generosity towards ourselves and then towards others? One of our values around here, we live with generous relationships, believing that we've experienced God's generosity and so we extend it to others. And so what, what, what do we do? How do we become these kinds of people that see and experience God's kingdom and celebrate his generosity towards ourselves and others? How do we become those kinds of people? Here be my encouragement. Do we recognize God's generosity in our life? Do, do we look around at the circumstances we've experienced and do we first immediately go to, wow, do you understand just how I positioned myself to get to this place in life? <laughs> or do we recognize God's generosity even in our personal stories? And are we honest about what we have earned and what love for others could look like and how we desperately want God's help in this journey of life. And so we pray and ask for God to help us recognize even his generosity to us. God, help me have eyes to see even in my journey how you've been generous to me along the way. And you could go, well, David, I, I just don't know if I've been, I've been, I've experienced all that generous generosity from God. So we ask, God, I need your eyes to recognize your generosity to my life and then accept the ways in which God has been generous to us. Well, David, I didn't get the two candies out of the prize drawer. That was my neighbor. They got two candies. I only got one. Do you understand the greatest thing? What do we deserve? <laughs> ask people this week. Do you believe people are born good or born bad, born evil? Ask people this week and just have a stimulating conversation. What, what's the foundational view? Do you actually believe God's generosity even saving us from that, that we deserve? And, and I found this interesting. There's an acronym about to come up here. Uh, anyone want to take a guess what the acronym might be? I didn't realize it until after we had written it. We recognize God's generosity, we accept God's generosity, and we give thanks for God's generosity in our life. Anyone want to take a guess what the acronym is? Man, rage. Yeah, the E's coming up soon. Uh, that, that when that rage and anger starts to fill my heart, where do I go? 
actually go to experiencing more of God's generosity in our day-to-day. And so we recognize, we accept, we give thanks, and then we extend the generosity we've experienced that actually gets manifest in the lives we interact with. And then the C didn't quite fit. I should have just stopped there. But then we actually celebrate God's generosity both in our lives and the way we see it in others. Rather than get bitter or envious, we can actually celebrate how God is manifesting his generosity to others. Ultimately hoping for his generosity and faith and then his ongoing generosity in our lives. And so here would be my encouragement. This week, would you create some reminders of God's generosity in your life? And here's the challenge. You might say, well, I, I've prayed desperately for, for wisdom. God, I want God's generous outpouring of wisdom. There's a circumstance that I'm trying to solve in life, and I, I'm just not gaining any clarity. And God is not answering in the way I'd want. He's not demonstrating his generosity of wisdom in helping me navigate this situation. Here might be what's going on. That much like in our story, God didn't answer in the immediacy or in the way that I wanted and yet manifested his generosity nonetheless. That he might be in in postponing, providing that wisdom that you're desperately praying for, he might actually be demonstrating his generosity in trying to draw you to himself in that process to grow your faith and to see and experience more of his generosity. It is for me why Father's Day comes up and it's a reminder of God's generosity, not in the way that we anticipated, And yet God demonstrated his generosity in a meaningful, real, tangible way. And so our kids, they were drawing pictures for service. They're drawing pictures. On the way home, you might even ask them, what are some ways that God has been generous to us? Pray with me. Oh, God, you're so good. You are generous Salvation, this thing called faith, is not a gift to be earned, but rather a gift to receive. And when we receive that gift, it radically transforms the way we interact with those around us and colors the lens with which we view every circumstance we encounter. May we experience more fully your generosity that you've given us through faith, and may it translate in the real, practical, tangible meaningful expressions of generosity to the lives around us. Ultimately, that they might see you through these acts. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.